Ordinary Fellowship is a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations will offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me is my co-host, Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. Good morning. We're here today to talk about an important topic, namely Christian freedom. We'll talk more about why it's important at the end. Anything you want to say, Matthew, before we dive in? Not too much, just that this is an, an important topic, especially with a lot of the issues that the pandemic has brought up. I think it's even more vitally important that we understand what Christian freedom is, but even more importantly than that, that we understand how we apply it and how we use it, which is what we're going to hope to explain in today. And our friends, uh, the Fundamentalist Baptists, uh, they never read Romans 14 and 15, do they? Not normally. <laughs> and if they do, they have a different interpretation. Yeah, yeah. We'll try not to pick on them too much today. Try. But you gotta, you got to understand, Matthew and I both come from that background, so we got to pick a little bit. Anyway, so Christian freedom, some the best place in the whole Bible to go to understand Christian freedom is found in Romans chapter 14 and 15, and we'll be reading some passages from there later. But So there are a couple examples I can give you of what I would call tyrannizing our conscience. One example would be uh, Roman Catholicism and the Pope. And this is not to pick on anybody, and, I, and I, I'm trying to give, be truthful about how they handle situations, but the best example I can think of with them is in regards to birth control. Catholics, Pope, uh, the te- teaching, the magisterium of the church are opposed to the use of birth control. And so that is handed down as dogma, and everybody has to obey this. If you use birth control, then according to Catholic teaching, you are sinning against God. Whereas Protestants, we allow for freedom here because the Bible does not specifically tell us how to approach the situation. Of course, there are principles uh, that we need to apply in our and use wisdom in order to make those decisions. Uh, but in a Protestant church, we don't prescribe that as a rule. And it's up to the individual family how they handle that situation for themselves. And we'll see this more as we go through, but that's one example on, on the Catholic side. But our fundamentalist brothers, in, in my mind, are actually are worse because there's not just one pope that's tyrannizing everybody's conscience, but every pastor of every church is a pope to the church. And uh, they end up setting up their standards of what they think is on, on these gray areas, and fundamentalists don't even like gray areas, but on these gray areas where the scripture isn't explicit or Christians have historically disagreed on these issues, the pastor will become the standard. You can see some of the, the clips on Twitter where the pastor is trying to explain why women shouldn't wear pants and what the rules for women wearing 
pants are and all that kind of stuff and how wrong it is. It's just silly stuff. And so instead of one pope over the entire universal church, you've got multiple popes over each local church. It's not just with pants wearing. You name it, there's there's an issue. Is it okay for a Christian to drink? Is it okay for Christians to read Harry Potter? Uh, that's one we're currently discussing with some friends. And, and the list goes on goes on and on of things that Christians disagree about. So one of the reasons this is important is because we need to have some unity. The Catholic way of having unity, force it as a mandate on high. There's the fundamentalist way of having unity by the pastor saying this is how we're going to do it. Uh, But I don't think any of those ways of having unity are biblical. The way we have unity is found in the principles of Christian freedom that we're going to discuss today. Any any thoughts before I give my one other example, Matthew? No, I just, I think that's a good thought to help us begin to think through. I also think it's why if you have take the time and go back and listen to our principal episodes, it's why creedalism is so important, confessionalism is so important, is that from our perspective, it eliminates the fundamentalist mistake of every pastor putting down on high what his view is, because every time you change your pastor, you get a new view of what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do, depending on where he's at. So as an example, you can have one pastor who thinks playing a guitar is horrible and terrible in a service, and the next one's from the South, and he thinks it's perfectly fine. And so now you have an entire congregation who doesn't know whether a guitar in a church is good or bad. Here's the answer. It's fine. But... You, so you get so you end up play, they end up playing ping pong with with your thoughts and your belief, and the other piece I'll add is Christian freedom is important because it forces each Christian to take their sanctification seriously, right. whether Catholic or fundamentalist. The extremes on the outside positions. The struggle is is basically you're not supposed to think; you're just supposed to do what you're told to do, and that's not how we're convinced scripture says sanctification works right and and that's that's really the problem with this so uh, just to be clear we're not talking about things that the bible clearly says okay when the bible says thou shalt not commit adultery there's mean, no christian right, freedom it there. means thou shalt not commit <laughs> adultery yeah there's no christian freedom there when it says you shall not steal there's no christian freedom there so when the Bible speaks explicitly, then we have no choice but to obey what the scriptures say. But the Bible doesn't talk about television or movies. Uh, the Bible doesn't talk about birth control. There's a myriad of things the Bible doesn't specifically address. There's general principles, but sometimes those, those principles can be understood and interpreted in different ways by different people. And and you're right, what, what it does when the head of the church, and I say that in quotes, <laughs> scare quotes, when the head of the church or when the pastor of the church tells you this is what you do, it cer- shortcuts your conscience. Correct. Right, it shortcuts your conscience. And the other thing, back to what you had said before, to just as we lay out this introduction, is the argument to, for doing it is, because, is that they want unity. 
my contention is forcing someone into a belief doesn't actually produce unity. It might produce conformity, but it doesn't produce unity. Right. And and it can go uh, it can go the same way, you know, you can force your view on people, but then it can go the other way with freedom too. It, it can go both ways. Correct. The, the, it, it can destroy your conscience either way. Right. And so what we're arguing for is that there should be guardrails. The, the purpose of the Christian life is to have a balanced life and walk in the middle of the road. So those pitfalls that we've already mentioned, that when you can fall off the road on the left side of the road, but understand that there's also pitfalls on the right side of the road where you can fall into the ditch too. And so what we're advocating is that you under, we understand freedom so that we stay in the middle of the road and we stay true to what God says, both that we so that we don't fall into legalism, but that we also don't fall into licentiousness, if to use a Bible word. Right. The example that I wanted to share, and we might refer to this again, is the Bible, the Bible says that you're not to allow any corrupt communication, obscene talk out of your mouth. I, I don't remember the specific quote but um so obscenity is a thing that christians um are concerned with and we certainly shouldn't be saying them the question is then okay so this is what the bible says so what about movies with swearing in it how how do i deal with that one of the churches that i went to there were three different families and they there were three different standards according to each family of when you shouldn't watch a movie. So one was a sta- his standard, their standard was if there's only one swear word, the movie gets turned off immediately and we don't watch it. Uh, the other one had uh, three strikes and you're out rule. So once they, the third curse word appeared in the movie, they turned it off. Another had the standard of that they didn't want it to be excessive. There wasn't a certain amount put on it. It was just, if it got too excessive, it would be uh, turned off or not watched. And in in my humble opinion, none of those standards are wrong. They are all good applications of the idea that Christians aren't allowed, to, shouldn't have obscenity coming out of their mouths. And so part of that is guarding ourselves about viewing obscenity. But what happens, and what happened in this church, was that the person who didn't allow any curse words at all would harshly judge and be critical of the person who made the rule that you can't have excessive swearing because then you were tolerating it for too long but then on the other hand the person who the the person who standard was no excessive cussing could look down on the other Christians for being too prudish for turning the movie off after only one or three cuss words, depending on their standard. So you see how this can lead to judgmentalism and criticism. What we're advocating is allowing freedom for Christians to follow the Lord Jesus and their own consciences in order to obey the commandments of God. What I'm arguing is that all three of those are okay. I have my standard, and and that, but I'm not to use my standard to judge others by looking down on them for being too loose or being too prudish. Right. 
So does that make sense, Matthew? It, it does make sense. So as we, coming out of that analogy, there's a paragraph of Scripture we want to spend some time thinking through so we can draw some applications. Jeremy already mentioned a few of them as he explained, but we want to spend some time expanding upon these applications. So we want to spend some time work, working through Romans 14 and the beginning of Romans 15. There are three principal applications we want to talk about. The first one, as Jeremy just mentioned, is that we're not supposed to judge. It, Paul says in Romans 14, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So why shouldn't we judge other believers when they're trying to establish biblical standards, even if they differ than us? Because we will each give account to the Lord for ourselves. Your pastor is not going to give account for you. He will give account for his his responsibility over your soul as a pastor, but he will not give account. They're not going to say, to the Lord on the judgment day is going not going to say, why did you allow them to watch movies with more than one swear word in it? <laughs> That's not God's... You will be held accountable for your standards. You you will face the Lord yourself. And so it's our responsibility to understand Scripture, make wise, informed, biblical decisions about how to apply it in our lives. And, you know, it, this is not to say that you shouldn't have input from anybody else. Uh, you ought to have input from other people, including your pastor. But at the end of the day, it's not its not your pastor, it's not the Pope who will uh, be giving account for your soul and your decisions. It will be you. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So the reason we shouldn't, we shouldn't judge is because we're not the judge, ultimately. And, and remember, we're not talking about Sins like what the Ten Commandments say, you shall not commit adultery. If someone is committing adultery as a Christian, then we are called to come to them in love and gentleness and urge them to repentance and turn away from that. And if they refuse to listen to us, then the elders are brought in and eventually the entire church. So we're we're not talking about those type of things. We're talking about the movie standards or whether women should wear pants or whether it's okay to watch Harry Potter or read the books or not. Those are the kind of things that we're talking about. And so what Paul is encouraging us, we don't we shouldn't judge each other on these issues because Christ is the ultimate standard. And and this is a lot of times when people see a church being judgmental 
It is over these kind of things that they they're complaining about. Right. Now, in our culture today, obviously, if you say anything negative about committing adultery, divorce, practices of the LGBT folks, that's going to get you labeled judgmental. But this this is a big deal too, because there people think, why are you Christians so picky? Why are you? Harry Potter is just a work of fiction. Why are you so upset and judging each other and fighting over Harry Potter? It's just a book. And so people on the outside see that and think these Christians are just judgmental, and you can't do anything. Right. Do I need to clarify anything there, Matthew? No, I think one of the things that just for our listeners to understand the context of the passage, just do this quickly— the context of the passage is Paul was talking about meat and whether or not you should eat meat or not. So there was a, an application that would happen is the foreigners would offer meat to idols. And then they sometimes that meat would then be taken to the market and sold. And there were some Christians who believed that because the meat was offered to idols, they shouldn't eat the meat at all. And there were other Christians who believed that it was perfectly fine to eat that meat. And so that's the context that we find here in Romans 14 and a couple of other places in the New Testament where Paul's talking about Christian freedom, and, and he uses that specific example. So that would be the biblical example, just like Jeremy laid out before the example of obscenity in movies. So we understand the context. Right. So now that leads us to the second principle, which, would, which is this that ultimately Christians are to live for Christ. Back to Romans 14 where Paul says, One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. That, that's an excellent passage. But in context to what we're discussing about, uh, as Matthew said, this is teaching us that Christians must ultimately live for Christ. So, again, coming back to the thing with the standards for movies, each each family, each individual in this in this example, should do and make their do what they're going to do and make their decision because they're wanting to live for Christ. So the one who says no cuss words at all, he should do it to honor Christ. The one who says three strikes and you're out should do it, should watch and do these things to honor Christ. And the, and the final one should do it to honor Christ as well. The, the point is to honor Christ in our decisions, in, in our standards, in our convictions. That is really our purpose here. As another example, if, if someone reads Harry Potter, then he should be reading it to honor Christ, to serve Christ. How, how you do that, I don't know. I've never even read Harry Potter, but the one who abstains should be doing it to serve Christ. 
So the one who reads should give thanks to God, and the one who doesn't read should give thanks to God as well. The whole point is is that you serve Christ and praise him. And really, this ends up being a principle for why you should limit yourself and limit your freedom, is that if it doesn't honor Christ, if you can't give thanks to God for doing what you're doing, then you probably shouldn't, not probably, right. you should not Correct. be doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think that this is, to me, the the piece that the first point and the third point both turn on this idea, that fundamentally, what is the purpose of my life? The purpose of my life is to glorify God. That means, then, that everything I think, say, do, act, consider, ultimately is for Christ. And so, I think one of the ways we get ourselves into trouble is we don't consider that, or when we do consider it, we tend to to go back to the first point about judging, we consider, well, I'm living more for Jesus than you are. <laughs> or, and then we'll get, when we talk to about the third point, we do it and we don't think about the ramifications of us making whatever decision is we made, which we'll talk about in a second. But ultimately, our responsibility is to seek to, as Paul says in Romans 8, to be conformed to the image of the Son. That's what we're after. And that doesn't... St- only apply to the things explicitly expressed in Scripture. It applies to everything. So ultimately what we're arguing for is what Christian freedom says is, I'm seeking to be changed into the image of God, and I'm going to make the decisions that I need to make to have have that occur in my life, which means those are going to look differently. So as an example, if you come out of a background where alcohol has been a problem in your family, that's going to look differently, and what Christian freedom will advise you to do is going to be differently than from someone who doesn't come from that background or any other myriad of choices or opinions. But ultimately, the goal should be simply to live for Christ. Right. So that leads us to our third point. The third point is this. The third principle is that we need to strive to avoid being a stumbling block to those weaker brothers. Paul says in Romans 14, in verse 13, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. A stumbling block is is a metaphor. Basically, anything that could lead to another one's spiritual downfall would be a stumbling block. So, what we're saying here, what the Bible's saying here, is that we have freedom in Christ to do a lot of things. However, if that freedom would cause another person to stumble in any way spiritually, we should limit that freedom out of love and concern for our brothers in Christ. Back at the beginning of the passage, they talked about the strong and weak brother. The weak 
one was the one who would only eat vegetables. The strong was the one who would eat anything. It's the duty of the strong believer to limit himself in that case if he's going to hurt a weaker brother in the faith. He should abstain from eating meat. He should abstain from posting pictures of his food on Facebook, bragging about his freedom in Christ, uh, because he may cause another believer to be hurt. We limit our freedom out of love for others. Really what we're saying here in the previous principle, it's to live for Christ, so love God. And then this principle is love your neighbor. Right. Don't do something that's going to spiritually wound or hurt him. Don't. And, and this goes back... Paul talks a lot about our conscience here, and this is something that isn't frequently discussed in churches, at least in my experience. But one of the things that he's talking about here is there are people with sensitive consciences. And Paul doesn't say, ah, you're just so really sensitive, don't worry about it, go ahead and do it. Paul is actually telling them, if your conscience is sensitive, do what your conscience says. And the stronger brothers should come alongside you, maybe teach you scripture so that your conscience isn't so sensitive, but abstain from freedoms that they legitimately have and things that they could legitimately enjoy. But because they love you, they're not going to get they're not going to get involved in those things. Because they don't want to wound and hurt your conscience. Or what they don't want is to say, well, brother so-and-so does it, so it must be okay. Right. So, right. so I will just add two, two verses to this conversation. The end of Romans 14, he says this. He says, The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So I think one of the things we have to be careful of when we come to being a stumbling block is what Jeremy just said. It's easy for us to impose our belief structure on somebody else. And so while the stronger brother has the responsibility to not force, but to explain and express to the persuade. weaker. Persuade. Persuade. To persuade the weaker, say, here's how I look. When I come to Scripture, here's what I'm convinced of. And if the weaker brother isn't convinced, then the stronger brother the, the stronger brother then says, okay. But if you just muscle your way through, then you're causing your weaker brother to sin because he's not doing it out of faith, but he's doubting, but he's still doing it anyways, which is another conversation we can have sometime. Right. And it, it, back to the illustration of the movie example, the, the weaker brother in this situation would be the one who doesn't want... One swear word and it's off. The stronger brother would be the one who says, as long as it's not excessive. And what the Bible doesn't, what God doesn't want is for somebody to say, well, this person has a standard, so I must be just too prudish. It's okay to come alongside and try to try to convince them that you have you have more freedom than you realize here. But it, it's not okay for that guy to say, well. I'm just going to watch it anyway. Right. If 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 your conscience troubles you when you watch a movie with more than with any swearing at all, then you shouldn't do it. And if you do, 
go against your conscience. What Paul's saying in that uh, Romans fourteen twenty three is that you've sinned against God. Right. Now, <laughs> now one one caveat, just because I feel like it's something another thing we don't talk about enough. When it comes to conscience, understand this: Jiminy Cricket got it wrong. <laughs> your your conscience is not your guide. You, we are not. Our conscience is not put into us with a moral structure. We build our conscience. So we have to understand that as well, which right. which means that I need to listen, but I also need to know that just because my conscience believes it doesn't make it so. Yeah, so the, what, the way I always explain that to people is if your conscience says don't do it, then you, you should don't. Right. You shouldn't do it. But if your conscience says it's okay, that doesn't mean it's okay. Correct. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Because... Your conscience can be overly sensitive, and if it's over, to be more conservative is okay, but to go, to be right. too broad it could lead you into sin. So, your conscience can be overly sensitive, but it can also be desensitized. Correct. If your conscience is calloused or desensitized, and your conscience <laughs> says it's okay to do that, that doesn't mean it's okay. Right. Because this. That's exactly how people end up taking it. Correct. And and we are absolutely not saying that. Just because you're, if the Bible says don't and your conscience says okay, your conscience is a lie. Correct. It's not telling you the truth. And even, even if sometimes if your conscience is overly sensitive, it may be lying to you and you need to be corrected by the word. But in that case, it's okay to take it slowly. Right. I think, and I think that's the key. I think we need to. It's always better to err on the side of caution and err on the side of not doing something than doing it. And the other piece I'll add is it goes back to the, our second point. When I'm trying to figure out why I'm doing it, am I trying to do it because I can, or am I trying to do it? Did I come to that conclusion because I think it glorifies Christ? And I have to and I have to learn how to tell the difference between those two things. There are things that I just want to do, and so I justify in my mind, and I say I'll do them. But ultimately, I know it really doesn't glorify Christ. I know it's probably not what I should do, but I want to. That should be like giant red warning lights flashing going, I should probably not do this. And so I think we have to keep that in mind as well. So, so to close, because we there's a lot we could go on about. I mean, because you're talking about uh, decision making and right. how to make some of these decisions, and that would be something we could discuss at a later point. But just to summarize uh, the three biblical principles from Romans 14 and 15. First of all, we're not to judge others when it comes to issues such as we've been discussing. Secondly, we're to live for Christ, to honor him, and seek to praise him. And that should guide our decisions about freedom and and whether we should abstain or not abstain from certain things. And then finally, uh, we we should never be a stumbling block. We should limit our freedom if it's going to cause another brother in Christ to stumble in any way. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org.
We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even that dreaded hate mail at OrdinaryFellowship at gmail.com. And please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship. But for now, we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we strive to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living. <music>